0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Uh, I'm Jeremy Lightman, and I'm here with Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Uh, We are going to be looking at some Old Testament lessons today, so I thought I'd go with a Z name from the Old Testament for you. Um, We are here today with uh, Pastor Tom Cock. Uh, he was a professor at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, uh, also a parish pastor in Tennessee, uh, and currently serves at Atonement in Milwaukee. Uh, are there any other uh, places of service in there that I missed?
1: I-, I vicared in Benton Harbor, Michigan, where I think you had served Jeremy. That's right. Yeah, I,
0: I, they were done with the vicar program by the time I got there. But yep, that's
1: right. Yep. So I've just started at Atonement. I've been here like literally three weeks, maybe four. <laughs> so just getting the feedback in the water of being a parish pastor. I'd been at the seminary for about seven and a half years. So Tom, tell us about your your ministry at
2: the mission field in Johnson City. But before you do that, do you remember what was going on the night I met you? Because I had <laughs> I had gone down. It was the summer before I got married. I Volunteered to do summer vicaring and I went down to Johnson City, Tennessee, and Alpharetta, Georgia, and then Decatur, Georgia. So about two to three weeks at each place to do mission work, canvassing, and so forth. First place was in Johnson City with Tom, but do you remember what was going on in the news that night?
1: Yeah, as I remember, it was uh, O.J. Simpson riding around in a white Bronco. <laughs> that, that was sort of a, a, a crazy night in our country. With yeah, you know, what's what's happening out there and what's going on? So that was that was kind of nuts. Was,
2: that was that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So yep. tell us about Johnson City
1: and the ministry there. So Johnson City, when I got there, was about 15 to 20 wells people who were scattered around the Johnson City area. Actually, only one of the families lived in Johnson City. Johnson City was a city of about 50,000 people, very heavily churched. There was about 300 churches in that city of 50,000. Uh, 200 of those churches were Baptist. Then there was a bunch of Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, Um other kinds of of uh like christian churches that, uh, that's a denomination that's strong in the south, etc. But we wanted to get a Wells Church started there. We didn't have anything uh, for about 100 miles in, in any direction. And I was blessed to start a congregation there. During the time of my ministry, it grew to about 300 souls. Uh, we daughtered a congregation in Morristown, Tennessee, which was about 70 miles down the road, kind of shot the gap between Johnson City and Knoxville. And uh, just before I left to go to the seminary, we were about to become a multi-site congregation uh starting a new site in Bristol when i left that that kind of lost its momentum, which is fine. Uh, the Lord of the church does what he wants to do in uh, in his own time. So hopefully that will come. So uh, by far the majority of our congregation were adult confirmants, And we just kept talking to people and talking to people and talking to people and talking to people. And um, God kept sending us people little by little by little by little. We hardly ever had big growth. It was always just kind of a gradual, slow um but relatively steady uh, growth and lots and lots of fun. Uh,
0: So uh, what would you, what's your biggest takeaway from uh, being a
1: seminary professor? Biggest takeaway from being a seminary professor? Huh, that's an interesting question, Jeremy. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I'd probably want to think about that one for a while before I gave an answer that would really stand on. But I, I'll give you two things that come off the top of my head. Number one, our church body is in a good place. Uh, the young men who are coming through our seminary are just so talented, so dedicated, um, excited to share Jesus with people. Um, it's it's really neat. Gives me great, uh, great excitement for the future. Um Great optimism for the future. Just a bunch of really good guys. Uh, Secondly, we have been blessed with a seminary that is doing what it should be doing. And that is the, the professors are a bunch of pastors who are training pastors to be pastors. Uh, the seminary is always kind of on the ragged edge of becoming merely an academic institution because we do have high academic standards. We want high academic standards. And not shockingly, a lot of our sem profs are um, academicians. I was a Bit of a, of a of a different sort up there, which is fine. I brought some other strengths. But um, we're always sort of on that ragged edge, but we don't want academicians training academicians to be academics. We want pastors to train pastors to be pastors. Um, and when you have guys on staff who are pastoral in their event and pastors at heart, uh, it's not shocking that some of them end up going back to the parish. So not too long ago, Paul Zell went back to the parish in North Carolina. Dan Lyra uh, is at St. Marcus here in Milwaukee. I've just returned to the parish here at Atonement Lutheran in Milwaukee. Um, There's probably some some blessing in that too, that there's some turnover at the seminary. So I, I don't know, I guess those would be two things that stick out as a quick reaction.
2: Yeah, that was what I was looking for just off the top of your head. And then one more question before we get into the gospel lesson. So then we went from Johnson City to the seminary, and now you mentioned you're at atonement. So why leave the seminary to get back into the parish ministry, especially at atonement? Because I visited there. That's not an easy ministry.
1: Yeah, atonement is uh is is located towards Milwaukee Central City. I wouldn't say we're like in the ghetto, which I, I don't even know if that's the best term to use, but we aren't in the um we are not in the the nice suburb, that's for sure. And uh, our school is huge. It's got 454 children in it, um, 98% of whom are not our members. Of the 70% who are not our members full, or of, of the 98% who aren't our members, fully 70% of them, so you know, give or take, I didn't do the math ever, probably 450, tell us that there are, no 350, um, tell us that they're unchurched so they're not even faking it of the 28 percent that say they're churched um most of them functionally really aren't and and so the mission field that's there is is immense and that opportunity to try to uh to make an impact on that mission field was was just something i it it tugged me i couldn't couldn't turn it down that's awesome so here we are
0: i i had a classmate in, in high school at Luther Prep that uh, had the last name of Clemens. And uh, sometimes they would uh, host a party at their house. Her dad was the pastor years ago at Atonement. And I think prep singers sang at Atonement uh, once or twice in my time there. And uh, yeah, I, I got a good feel of exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, Sam, Samuel Clemens was one of the pastors here for a, for a good long time. His son now is a professor up at Martin Luther College. So very fact, cool. He
0: he actually, they are actually uh, short-tailed blood relatives of Sam Clemens, a.k.a. Mark
2: Twain. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. That was a good trivia question I was going to ask you on that. Yep. A
1: little bit of Wells trivia for you there, folks.
2: All right, you want to read the gospel lesson? Sure. Jeremy? So uh, the
0: upcoming gospel is uh, Luke chapter 5. One time while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there along the lake shore. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we worked hard all through the night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were about to tear apart. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For Peter and all those with him were amazed at the number of fish they had caught. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, have no fear. From
2: now on, you will be catching people. And then they left the boats and they followed him. Uh, Now, I'm not a fisherman. Tom, are you a fisherman? Not really. Jeremy? No, no. See, I, I'll be honest, I despise fishing. I've gone once or twice and it's terribly boring. I'm a guy that has to be active. So I can't imagine anything more boring than just fishing, except more boring would be sitting on a bucket. In, in the,
1: in course, the ice, in ice <laughs> yeah fishing. yeah that that seems absolutely crazy to me but I, I don't despise fishing i enjoy going fishing when i'm with somebody who knows how to catch them and that we actually have action and we catch stuff um, well, otherwise yeah. it's too slow for me but i can't imagine you know, the the disciples made their living from fishing and um you know, to, to fish all night and catch nothing it isn't like when you and i go fishing and we catch nothing yeah oh well i mean we're going to go home and we're going to eat it's fine you know if they go home and they've caught nothing they may not eat because that was their business that was their living you would you would hope they weren't living from which we call it from from net to mouth (laughs) you see what i did there um (laughs) that was terrible (laughs) yeah you hope that they might have had a little bit of reserve and and whatever but for them this is a this is a bad business venture night. This isn't just a, you know, hey, we got skunked tonight. And so you can imagine then in the morning how they're feeling. You know, if you've ever pulled an all-nighter, you know how exhausted you are at the end of the night. And now, now here they are, exhausted. And the, the Greek word for we worked hard all night, that's a nice translation. The Greek word there means to labor intensely. It's kapiao for Any out there who happen to know the Greek Greek stuff, Um, it means to labor and to struggle. And uh, that's what they were doing. And now here it is in the morning, and they're trying to listen to Jesus teach. I can imagine maybe their heads were nodding a little bit as Jesus is teaching. I'd imagine. I don't know. Um, But then, my word, what happens here with this event is just um, amazing. I'll stop there because I don't know which way you guys want to go. I don't want to step on toes or whatever. No, uh, I I think
0: um, I, I I haven't mentioned this in a while. I don't know if I've, I don't know if I did this last episode, but uh, this is one of the scenes from Jesus' life that is recorded in that uh, series, The Chosen. And uh, did I mention that last episode? Uh, no, I don't think okay, so. Okay, I don't want to be constantly referring to that, but I really I do like that show, and um, they sort of make up a backstory and you can debate about whether a backstory is is a good and beneficial thing or not for uh sharing God's word but uh i do think it humanized it it was kind of like talking about how you know perhaps uh peter and and uh, his fishing partners were in debt and or they had taxes to pay to the government and uh this was this was a very stressful time for them and uh i i think you make that point without elaborating in a in a hypothetical way that, uh, yeah, if they didn't catch fish, this was more than just let's go home and uh, lick our wounds. This was let's go home and, you know, maybe take out another mortgage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've I've watched that series, The Chosen, as well, and I I also enjoy it. It they take lots of artistic license, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so please don't think that if you watch it that you're going to see just the biblical text. You won't. You're going to see a lot of um, you know speculation and whatever. But boy, they really do a good job of bringing out the the human element of of these accounts that I think is is really neat.
2: Yeah, and then. You know, Jesus does the thing of, well, you caught some fish, but now I want you to put the nets down and I want you to fish for men. Um, and he says, have no fear from now on, you'll be catching people. So, Tom and Jeremy, why do you think he says, have no fear? You know, I think a lot of times when we're preaching on this text, we'll we'll rightly focus on the catching of people. But why would Jesus say, have no fear? You're going to be going out and catching
1: people. I, I love the, that, yeah. So we know this wasn't the first miracle because the first miracle was Cana at Galilee. So we know this is you know, further on down the trail. Simon Peter has seen some miracles before. Um But Jesus has not yet called them to full-time discipleship, apparently. Apparently, that kind of happened in steps is the way it seems to be. Um, We don't know all the details, which is fine. Uh, But for whatever reason, this was a Shazam moment for Peter. That Peter looks at this whole thing and he goes, I'm not sitting in the boat with just anybody. I'm sitting in the boat with God. (laughs) Now, how would you and I react if all of a sudden we realized I'm sitting in the boat with God, and I, I've, I'm imagining it might be similar to what Simon Peter says. You know, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Um, you know, he the, the recognition that I'm in the presence of holiness. I'm in the presence of perfection. I'm in the presence of God, and this is a consistent theme of Scripture. You see it over and over and over again, uh, going way back to the Garden of Eden. When when God comes to visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the day after they've grabbed that fruit off of the tree, um, what do they do? They hide uh, because they're afraid to face God. When the shepherds are surrounded by the glory of God out in the fields of Bethlehem on Christmas Eve, they feared fear greatly. Um, it just happens over and over again. The angels at the the t- or the uh, the women at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning when they see the holy angels, they are afraid. And uh, and thankfully, another theme of scripture is the response. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And to go all geeky on you, the Greek that's used there is a permanent prohibition. And the permanent prohibition in Greek means stop doing something you're doing now and never do it again. So I think it's legit to translate that. Never be afraid again. Well, Hmm. Peter, why do you never have to be afraid again? Because the guy that's standing in the boat with you is your savior who wants to be in the boat with you and, in fact, loves to be in the boat with you. And, you know, he knows all that stuff that's going to come, your denials and all that stuff. Uh, But, Peter, he loves and cares for you anyway. And so never be afraid again. Wow. And, of course, those words would would apply to any of us believers as well, that we never have to be afraid because, ultimately, uh, God loves us dearly. So no matter what comes, we've got God on our side. Do so, not... yeah.
2: To build on that, uh, well, first thing I know, I know you know this, Jeremy. I was going to say the exact same thing about the Greek verb tense oh. there. Yeah. So, but uh, <laughs> sorry I like, to
0: steal your yeah. Can, I you, let Tom can, you, can, my can you can you remind me what was the phrase? What no, was the I let, no, no, I like <laughs> no. Uh,
2: <laughs> but uh, one of the things I've been thinking about too with fear, and you see people just being afraid of so much nowadays, and. Uh, like you said, Tom, over and over in scriptures, do not be afraid, fear not. And I think people have kind of turned fear into a virtue and yet the devil, uh, I think fear is one of the greatest tools of the devil. Uh, and that's why the angels and God and Jesus so often tell us, don't be afraid. It's the opposite of what the devil wants us to do, uh, you know, and as you were talking, Tom, it reminded me of something that Mike Rowe said. So he's, you know, dirty jobs and a bunch of other things that he does, but he's come out with a phrase called safety third. I don't know if you've ever heard that.
1: Uh-uh. Because I know who Mike Rowe is. I know he does like home improvement stuff or stuff yeah. like that. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. And uh, safety third. And his point with that is if we put people will say safety first, but if you do safety first you'll never get anything done. Huh. Yeah. You know, safety first, we would never uh, have yep. people sail across the ocean to an unknown landmass. You would right. never
1: make that airplane. Yeah. You never make that
2: airplane, you never do that with a uh, test pilots. You would never send people to the moon, whatever because hey, people might die at this. But safety third meaning that uh, safety is important, but if you always put safety first, we'll never leave the house. And I bring that up here with this mission work, uh, as we talked next about uh, calling pastors to be missionaries or m- young men to be pastors, uh, teachers, missionaries, and so forth. If safety was first, because we're afraid, we would we would never get anyone to leave their house and do mission work. So, yeah, that's so
1: interesting. Something. When you, uh, is it okay if I bounce in? Perfect. You're the guest.
2: You're the important (laughs) one here.
1: I don't know about that. but um, and, and it's so interesting when you look at some of the calls in the scripture to uh, to, to to people as they're called into ministry. Um, Isaiah is going to, if we get to that Isaiah reading, which I hope we do at least a little bit, um, you're going to see it. What does God say to Isaiah? Yeah, you keep going. These people are not going to listen to you. Hmm. And in fact, they're going to be stubborn. They're going to close their ears. And, uh, well, Lord, how long should I go? Well, until the fields are ruined and, and, and ravaged and the cities are destroyed. And and there's only a stump left in the land. <laughs> really? Sounds like fun. Um, yeah, it sounds awesome. Uh, the Apostle Paul. What do we hear? I will teach him how much he must suffer for my name. Mm. Uh, that's spoken right after he's called to faith and discipleship. Really? Um, but that you know that Jesus says the, the the life of the believer, and particularly the life of the called worker and, and doing mission work, it's gonna be hard. He says to expect that. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of it. Because the one who is with us is far greater than those who are with them. Um, we're going to heaven. And at the end of the line, we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is awesome. And uh, the God who made the end of the story for us, he's going to get us to that end of the story. And he's going to get us there in the way that's best. That's for sure. So never be afraid again. Permanent prohibition, by the way, guys, if you're trying to remember that's what that was. I, that I remember better, yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> No, I uh, just wanted to point out, well, he, he took my paper. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. That uh, I had a, a classmate one time that pointed out uh, in a lot of the other gospel accounts of uh, the miraculous catch of fish, when Jesus is first calling his apostles, um, it talks about Jesus saying, I will make you fishers of men. And uh, it's Luke here that gives us that one a little bit different uh, way of saying it from now on, you will be catchers. You'll be catching people. And so kind of in contrast with what you said before about Paul suffering and Isaiah preaching until everything is destroyed and ruined, uh, you've got here that little promise of, hey, it's also going to, there's going to be successes. And I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, the cross and cross bearing and uh, how there are going to be many hardships to enter the kingdom But uh, this is, uh, I I think it's also important to say, uh, let's not forget, there will be successes, there will be even great successes for the kingdom. Uh, you, You won't just fish for people and pull up nothing, you will also catch them.
1: Man, that is a great point. I've never caught that detail in this text, Jeremy. So thanks for unlocking that. I just took a note in my computer Bible to that effect. And that And That's so true. Um, yes, the theology of the cross is incredibly important and valuable for us. And, and we're going to be you know, people of the cross until we get to heaven for sure. But we are also optimists because we have a risen Savior. There will not be a day in our life when Jesus is dead. He's alive. And he's alive forever and ever. And he holds the keys of death in the afterlife. And so our, our afterlife is absolutely assured. And so we are always going to be optimists, even when it looks like we're getting smashed in the face. So great catch there, Jeremy. I love that. So
2: what you know what you were saying there about uh, the resurrection remind me uh, of this, Tom. I'm, I'm sure you don't remember this, but I do. I remember very vividly <laughs> that... Uh, it was like my first year in the ministry, our one of our leading families in our church, ones that uh, you know church president, active in everything, probably a big funder uh, that got the church started and everything, got upset with me and left and i was I was distraught. that's hard. You know trying to build this church and a key family leaves. and I was talking to other guys. Uh, I talked to you, and you said, <clears throat> And I said, "What do I do?" And you go, "Hey, Mike, uh, is Easter coming? <laughs> yeah, Easter is coming. Well, then don't worry about it. Jesus has risen. You know, and that's the key. You know, don't have to worry about it." And there, I'll, I won't share the rest of that story. But uh, with this, let's apply it a little bit. Uh, two things, Tom. How desperate is the need in our church body for more pastors and teachers to become fishers of men? And then, secondly what can parish pastors like you and me or uh, in a school setting like Jeremy do to train up young men and women to to become called workers, fishers of men and women?
1: Um, So to your, to your first point, could we use more called workers? Yes. (laughs) Um, I, you know, finally, the Lord of the church is the Lord of the church. He's going to raise up his gospel ministers one way or the other. So I'm, I, I don't know I guess I just I'm so i'm really a simple guy and um so i, I figured that jesus is going to raise up the the men and the women that we need and he's going to figure it out so i'm I'm not worried about it um, but to your second part of the question what can we do to um to encourage that I i'll first talk about it from a called worker perspective I think first of all from a called worker perspective to a love Jesus I hope that's obvious but we'll say it anyway. Love Jesus. Let people know that you love Jesus, but then also love your people and love the ministry and talk positively about the ministry and how God is blessing the ministry and how meaningful the ministry is and what a privilege and a pleasure it is uh, to be a pastor. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to to, to shy away from the challenges of ministry as well, for sure. Uh, but finally, when push comes to shove, are you kidding me? They're going to pay. My job is to grow deeper into the word of God, grow in faith myself. I'm supposed to share that word of God with people already know it so that they can grow in faith. And I'm going to take that word of God to people who don't yet know it. Uh, People want me to baptize their babies. They want me to visit them in the hospital, counsel them with the word of God. And are you kidding? They're going to pay me to do this. (laughs) this is a good gig. It really is. Um, it doesn't make it easy. Not at all. Ministry is going to be really hard. The devil's going to go after you, uh, tooth and nail. Um, I'm, you know, without prying at all, you guys know it. I'm convinced the devil goes harder after called workers than he goes after anybody else. Um, Because when he called workers go down, there's so much collateral damage oftentimes. Um, So it's never going to be easy. But boy, to talk positively about ministry, talk positively about the people you're ministering to is, I think, huge. And then from a parenting perspective, um, please encourage your young men and women to think about ministry. I'm convinced every young man or woman should consider becoming a gospel minister. not every young man or woman should become a gospel minister, but everyone should consider it. And the reason I think that is because the ministry is the only vocation that I know of that's eternal. There's no other vocation in the world that's eternal. And so because of that, I'm convinced every young man or young woman should consider becoming either a pastor, a teacher, or a staff minister, obviously, guys for pastors, but also for staff ministers and teachers, and girls just for staff ministers and teachers. Um, but every young man or woman should consider that. And if they say no to it, that's fine. God blesses every vocation. The doctrine of vocation is awesome. Um, and no matter how you choose to serve God, it's great. But think about being a pastor, teacher, a called worker. Um, my dad gave me some good advice when I was in grade school, um, he said, Tom, you know, God's blessed you with, with talents and abilities. You can probably do a whole lot of different things with your life. Whatever you choose will be fine with your mom and me. But whatever you do choose, choose something where you can serve people. He said, I've watched a lot of people over the course of my years who have spent their whole life serving themselves. And when they got to the end of their life, they kind of looked at their life and went, huh, what did I do with it? Um, so pick out something where you can serve people. Now, I was at that point too young to realize all the ramifications. Ultimately, anything I do with a God-pleasing attitude is serving people, right? Um the farmer who's, who's, who's growing crops is serving all kinds of people. Uh, the garbage collector is serving all kinds of people. The doctor is serving all kinds of people. The grocery shelf stocker, whatever. I mean, any job that you think of, uh, they are serving people when it's done out of the right attitude and things like that. Uh, Being that I was in grade school, my very simple thought was, well, what would be a better way to serve people than to tell them about Jesus? And that kind of uh, of stuck with me, and that's the direction I ended up going. My four younger brothers, none of them did go into gospel ministry, which is fine. Uh, They, too, are serving all kinds of people in all kinds of ways and serving Jesus in all kinds of great ways. But parents, please do talk well about the gospel ministry and encourage your kids to consider it one of the a sad day in my life was when i was in college and um the, the grade school tournaments were going on on the campus of what was then Northwestern College. Now it's just Luther Prep School, but then it was Northwestern College, Northwestern Prep School. And the prep school would invite grade schools from all over the place to come in and have a basketball tournament. And it was a way to get kids on campus, think about maybe coming to prep, etc. And I'm walking you know, one way on the sidewalk and a mother and her son, I assume, are walking towards me. And just as we crossed, I heard the mom say to the son, no, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. And obviously, I don't know what the rest of the conversation was. But my guess is that before that, it was something about maybe I could come here and become a pastor or a teacher. And I, yeah, it was just sad to hear a, a, a young person who, again, I'm assuming, I'm assuming had shown some interest in serving in, in ministry and to hear a parent actively discouraging it. Um, wow, parents, please, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. Please encourage because the, the ministry is is a, a, a challenging thing, but boy, it is a blessed thing with eternal blessings. If everybody,
0: like you said, at least considers it, then at the very least they will have a, a slightly deeper appreciation for what their ministers do for them.
1: Yeah, I agree, Jeremy, great point.
2: Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I, I'm blessed that at our congregation, we've been sending, after a long time of not having anyone at MLC, now uh, got a number of students up there, a number more that are coming or, and planning on going up there. Got a young man here at Shoreland uh, I saw him at Shoreline Sacred Christmas concert, and I texted him afterwards because he's wanted to be a pastor from little on. And so I texted him because I said, hey, I, there's only girls that are in the uh, handbell choir. You should go all for handbell choir. It's a good place to pick up chicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was just teasing him, and I I found out he he did it. Uh he's the only guy with like eight other girls. But I I I was as I was texting him, uh I said, besides, this is good practice for you to go on to MLC, you know, to date and because you know how many of those young men and women get married up there. So I said it was good practice and everything, and just teasing, but a good relationship with this kid. Uh and and like you said, talking positively about the ministry. Uh, over the Christmas break, well, a few weeks before and a few weeks after, I had six funerals in six weeks. Whew. So a number of our members were saying, oh, pastor, how do you do it? And I said, there's really nothing better than uh, bringing people into God's kingdom through baptism and then ushering them out of the kingdom uh, at the deathbed and then preaching at their funeral. You know, everything else in between, that might be kind of tough sometimes, One of the
1: cool things about ministry, and you're touching on it there, Mike, is that the pastor gets a chance to touch people at the most important times in their life. Yeah, you just mentioned baptism. You mentioned funerals. When people get married, who do they come to? The pastor. When it's time for confirmation, where do they come to the pastor? When they the baby baptized, who do they talk to? The pastor. You get to share the most important life moments with people. That is just so cool. Um, teachers and staff ministers get that to some extent as well. I speak of it from the standpoint of a pastor because I am one. Um, but just such a neat thing that allows you to build bonds that can be super, super neat.
2: And. And it isn't that hard. I mean, I think people think that we as pastors have it easy to do. We are trained and yet a lot of people out there in the culture don't want to talk to us, not, not yep. first. They want to talk to our listeners. They want to talk to normal people first and uh, and then eventually talk to us. And, you know, when Jesus uses that imagery of a fisherman, just putting lines uh, in the water here, nets in the water, and seeing what you catch, and I always remind our people with all of the soccer camps we've done, and vacation bible schools, and Christmas things, and trunk retreats, I don't know of any prospects that we've really gotten out of that. We God has grown our church here in Racine, and now in Caledonia too, by our members inviting others to church, and but I've always stressed Every time we've done one of those activities, we've had people join our church, not from that activity, but something else that God, I said, God always blesses our activity, not maybe that specific activity. So as we've been gearing up to promote our school with the opening of school choice and going, uh, knocking on doors or putting flyers on the doors, putting all kinds of ads out in Facebook, encouraging our parents to talk to other parents about our school. I got, a tech, I got a phone call from our preschool teacher on Wednesday about a new parent that just called out of the blue. She moved back to Racine, wants a preschool for her four-year-old daughter, and has no interest in Racine Unified. I had an awesome conversation with his mom yesterday. Uh, she signed up to start the adult confirmation classes last night, never... Visiting our school, never visiting <laughs> our church. Hopefully, Lord willing, the first time she'll be in church on awesome. Sunday. But just that idea of if our people are doing the work, the Lord of the church will bless that effort, but we just have to get up and do the work and not be afraid to do it.
1: Yeah, my experience in Tennessee was very, very similar. We would do all kinds of stuff, and we never got anybody from anything we did. And that is almost literally true. Um, I I can only remember two families who came in from something specifically that we did. One was a knocking on door, and another one was a flyer thing. But that's all I can remember. I had one time somebody came to church and said, I asked them how they found out about us, and they said to me, we saw your TV commercial. Well, we had never done a TV commercial, <laughs> so I knew they couldn't possibly have seen the TV commercial, <laughs> and yet there they were. <laughs> so, yeah, God has His uh, has His ways. But it was interesting. Whenever we stopped working hard at it, if we got lazy at it, the people stopped coming, and uh, and so it's kind of like God's little way of just saying, "You work at this, you work at this. I'll bless it the way I want to, but you make sure you're working at it." And um, what a great thing for us, that's for sure. It's, Can we uh, talk for a little about the Isaiah text, guys? Is that is that okay to segue over to there, or did you have more that you it, want to talk about? That's the just text? fine.
0: Yes, it's that time. Uh, let me read Isaiah chapter six, verses one to eight, and I, I will include the last verse this time. the The gospel before I, I cut myself off before getting to the last verse. Ready? Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, the whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of the one who called, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, I am doomed, I am ruined, because I am a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the king, the lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, carrying a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, look, this has touched your lips, so your guilt is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am,
2: send me. So, Tom, what did you teach at the seminary?
1: I taught education and Old Testament. And so, yes, this was uh, part of one of the classes that I, that I taught along the way, which was why I was kind of excited to have a chance to get back to this a little bit. So it was
0: part of the, I'm guessing part of your, uh, like an overview class rather than a detailed study the the... correct
1: it was part of the what's called senior old testament isagogics and in senior old testament isagogics we read uh the second half of the old testament basically so starting at job and going all the way uh through malachi with the exception of psalms and the second half of isaiah those are those are handled in two other courses so the guys have to read about five to six chapters pretty much every day so it can't be covered in a lot of detail and uh, but they get a chance to see a a big overview here and this is isaiah's calling into the ministry and obviously it is amazing um there i have a question but i have have lots yeah go ahead
0: and comments uh first of all in verse one i've always wondered um when i said i saw the lord sitting on a throne um what what kind of a figure or form should we be picturing sitting on the throne? That's a really good
1: question. Um, yeah, you, you, you'd guess that it's probably a human form because it talks about his robe. Um, so you'd and which is what they wore in those without, days.
0: You can't sit without like being a like sitting would be a human thing to do.
1: Yep, I think so. So I've always pictured it as, as kind of a human thing. Um yeah, God warns us against making warn the Old Testament people about making images of Himself. So we never get a really good description of the form that God takes in these these situations. But I've always pictured it as a as a human form. Yes,
2: but could you picture Him as like the Ancient of Days from Daniel? Could be, yeah. You know, his... Or in and He in the
0: uh, on Sinai, Moses asked to see His glory. He talks about His hand covering the cre- the crevice and the, and the backside. Um, I, I kind of wonder if we should be maybe almost thinking of an angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate Christ type of a figure.
1: Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. You know, the thing that, so first of all, scripture talks about how oh God is spirit. And so yeah. to try to picture him in any way, becomes a bit of a challenge. Of course, Jesus in time took on flesh and became a real human being like you and me. And so it's certainly appropriate to picture God as flesh. But here's the gracious thing. God deals with us where we are. And so what can we picture? Well, we can picture a human sitting on a throne wearing a robe. That makes sense to us. Even if it's a glorious human as this was where the train of his robe fills the temple and the, the, the temple is filled with smoke and the angels are crying out, kadosh, 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 which is the Hebrew for holy, holy, holy. Um, kadosh, holiness is one of the sub-themes of the book of Isaiah. And so you see it here in this, uh, in the, the, the call of Isaiah right off the bat. Um, so, but we can still picture a human being. And that's an act of God's grace, that he allows us to picture him in, uh, with our own minds and talks to us in our own ways.
0: So do you think that, um, that I've, I've heard professors and teachers and pastors that I've respected kind of come down maybe on both sides of this debate, but this is a historic reading for Trinity Sunday. and um, I, I wonder if uh, if you would agree that it's it's a good Old Testament lesson to illustrate the Trinity and if you think that uh, in uh, from what point would you take it?
1: yeah i i do but it's it's not the phrase that usually gets pointed to a lot of times that kadosh 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 gets pointed to that the angel says you know holy 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 that's not the thing what is the thing is uh when you get down to verse sorry guys i've got hebrew open up on my thing
2: oh i for, i forgot to open up my hebrew Bible uh, here we are
1: it's first it's verse, I, it's I verse eight. for you if
2: you want a Hebrew Bible.
1: Sorry, guys. It's in verse eight, where he where God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's the Trinity reference. It's God referring to himself as a me. Who shall I send and referring to himself as a plural who will go for us? And uh, And so that's where the Trinitarian reference come, comes in rather nicely. And so, you know, God presenting himself here to Isaiah, probably looking more like a, a singular than a plural. In this case, that's the impression we get from this this text. And yet also letting Isaiah know this is a plural, not just a singular.
0: But <laughs> right, And, so and like, you go back to the uh, burning coal on the altar, uh, and that is what the thing that purifies Isaiah and forgives his sin, well, who can do that other than Jesus? So it's like you've got God up on the throne, but then you've also got God, if you if you believe in an, an atoning and a forgiving God, in that burning coal uh, at uh, both places at the same time. Um, and that's also an analogy I know that has been used of the Trinity is of... Uh, no, No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the two natures in Christ. Two natures in go. Christ, like... Uh, th- how can jesus be god and man well it's kind of like uh heat or or fire permeating a, a coal it's it's all heat all fire and all coal or or material at the same time
1: yeah those those analogies are always so hard because they always limp some way and somehow and however Which, you're good at it but yeah, and I'm I, sorry it to
0: it's just as long as you're pointing that out that was another thing I wanted to say with the holy 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 um I'm going to make a case for uh, having that be a reference to the Trinity, but not because of the triple nature of holy, holy, holy. Actually, because of that word holy, uh, what does it mean? There, it, it, it's In the second half of Isaiah, the prophet is constantly asking, or God is asking through the prophet, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal? I am the holy one of Israel. and." Uh, that, that is what we are constantly saying whenever we teach the Trinity to young people. Uh, whatever analogy you come up with, it's always going to limp. There's no comparison. There's no analogy. And that's, that's really what, what holy means is you, you can't compare uh, our triune God to anything in our earthly realm.
1: Yes, uh, Kadosh's idea of being something that's totally set apart, um, totally unique, totally different. There's a number of ways you can describe it. I have no problem with us, you know, once we establish the Trinity from down in verse 8, to go back then to verse, is it 3? I think it's verse 3, yeah. And, uh, and to say, is there a an echo of the Trinity there in the the threefold holy? Sure, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with it what, whatsoever. Uh, but to just look at the threefold holy, um, the number three, because it's a number for God, is is sometimes things are done in triads in scripture just as a fullness kind of a thing. And so maybe the angel said it three times because that was like. The whole earth is full of his glory. Yeah, yeah that that's holiness like to the fullest degree or something like that so it could be just a rhetorical flourish so hard to know but i have no problems with saying that could be a neat little shadow or reminder of the the trinity no problem with that whatsoever there's a really cool little thing in uh in verse verse four um and the you know, the the NIV translates the foundation threshold shook at uh, the voice of the one who called um, or I'm in I'm in a different translation the foundation threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke the the word that's translated temple is actually the Hebrew word that that we would usually use for house. Um, and so it's just this little cool reminder that the temple of God was the place where God lived. It was his dwelling place. And where does God put his dwelling place? When you think back to when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, God puts his house right in the midst of his people. He's right there with them. Um, when he gets to when they get to the Promised Land, where does the house of God go? To the city of God, Jerusalem, which was not exactly centrally located, but fairly so, and that's where everybody was to come to at least once a year to do to celebrate Passover or to do some of the other the other feasts. Um, when When John talks about Jesus coming, what does it say? He came and tented among us. And so you put all of it together. What does God love to do? God loves to be with his people. God loves to be amongst his people. And he wants us to think of, and he wanted his people to think of the temple, not merely as this grand, glorious place for worship, but as this comfortable house, this house where God lived, and he invited his people in as guests. That's so cool. So cool. Now, there's more to it, obviously. But that's part of the, the picture that's there is that this is a comfortable place. God lives there. And it's, a fam- he invites it's a
0: family kind of a place.
1: Exactly.
0: And, and that's really what, what the Trinity is about, is that you're the Father and the Son. There's, there's a familial connection. Uh, and you were just reminding me of uh, Easter when Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, where did he first appear in the midst of his disciples in the locked room? Uh, or in Matthew eighteen, he said, I, "I will be wherever two or three are using my name in the midst of them." Um so uh, another quick question. Uh, give me your gut instinct. Uh, what's the first thing off the top of your head? Uh, I've heard people say that it it sounds like they're just two, Seraphs with the six wings, but it could also sound like there are two choirs or or a whole group of seraphs singing this uh, this Sanctus. What do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, um, you you really can't put a number on it at all because the the Hebrew word seraphim is just simply plural, and then that says um, you know that they they had. The 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 six wings and we we're covering their faces. I my gut instinct is that there was more than two, but that is merely an instinct It is not a scriptural thing. We can't well, know. There that's was what I was least, always
0: pictured growing up and hearing this. I've always thought that. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's at least two that are that are there. If I if we could jump down towards the uh, towards the end of it, that whole issue of the coal touching his lips. Um where did that coal come from there's two options the 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 Hebrew does not specify which altar it came from um Isaiah seems to be inside the temple, and so that would seem to lead us towards that it came from the altar of incense. Uh, the altar of incense was where they burned incense each night, and the incense going up uh, symbolized the prayers of the people going up to God and smelling pleasing in His in His nostrils. And so, if it's that, you know, perhaps the picture is that Isaiah has access to God. The other option is that the coal was brought in from the outside outside of the temple was the altar of burnt offering and that's where the sacrifices were made and if that's the case and that's the way i would lean if that's the case then it's a reference more to the idea that, Isaiah, a sacrifice is going to be made for you. And because a sacrifice is going to be made for you, uh, your sin, it's dealt with. And then the, 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 the talk about forgiveness is just really full, um, a little bit literalistically. Turned away is your guilt, and your sin, it's been covered up. And the, the Hebrew word that's used there is kafar. Um, you're going to hear the word Yom Kippur. If you hear that word Yom Kippur, you're thinking good thoughts. And Yom Kippur was the great day of atonement. That was the one day in the Israelite religious life where the high priest could go into the most holy place. And so God talking to him that your sins are covered. Uh, is probably a little reference to or a little hint, Isaiah, you can be in my presence and you are welcome here. Now, what's interesting is this happens in the year that King Uzziah died. You guys remember what King Uzziah died from? Sorry, it's my turn to put on my professor Uh, hat and ask uh, the students how how we're doing.
0: (laughs) uh, Leprosy.
1: Yes. Do you remember why he got leprosy? He,
0: he uh, tried to go into the temple, didn't he? Yes,
1: he tried to oh, go wow. into the temple and uh, and and burn the incense, which Mind's only the priests blown. were to do. Yep. And uh, so in the year that King Uzziah dies, where does Isaiah find himself? In the temple. <laughs> and he can you imagine him kind of going bah, 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 bah. now isaiah was also a priest so there was an aspect that said maybe you can be but it wasn't his time to burn incense and all that uh-huh. so he has no real right to be uh to be in there but god seems in in my mind what god is saying to him here is you're welcome here isaiah it, it was it wasn't guaranteed that even
0: the high priest would survive going into the right. holy of holies.
1: Yep. You know what they used to do? They used to actually tie a rope around the high priest's waist so that if he went into the Holy of Holies and was struck dead, uh, that they could drag him out <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. nobody could go in there to get him. <laughs>
0: and they had they had like, like, like bells on his robe so yep. that if they heard him stop jingling, they knew. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. The, yep. I, thank you for that uh, comment about the altar. I was like, wait a minute, which altar? There, there's only one. Altar. But no, you're right. He was inside the temple. If it was like the Jerusalem temple, the inside one would be the altar of incense, the outer one would be, I guess I've always taken it as the sacrificial altar, but it, it didn't hit me until just now, that would have been outdoors, it would have had to bring bring the, the coal in from
1: out on the sacrificial altar. Sure. And of course, this is a vision or seems to be a vision. You know, it, it doesn't exactly say it's a vision, but that it's pictured kind of that way. And whenever you're dealing with visions, you have to be a little careful that you don't push the details too hard uh, because you know, sometimes, like within your when you when you dream, um, you, know, you don't have to push all the details because they don't necessarily make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in the vision segments of scripture, some of the stuff doesn't make as much logical sense as you know we want to make out of everything. Uh, but it can go either way, and either way, you get sort of a cool picture. But finally, God is saying, "You're good. Turned away is your guilt, your sin." It's gone, and the the Hebrew suffix is singular. Your sin—that this is about you, Isaiah—and um, I am dealing with uh, with just you. I'm gonna double check that. I'm pretty. And that's
0: how that's how God always works. He doesn't. Con- I mean, there have been mass conversions, but he doesn't converse en mass. He he converts one at a time. He has a personal yeah. one-on-one yeah. relationship.
1: One of my most favorite things to share with people is the, the Hebrew of the blessing and that the Hebrew of the blessing, Lord bless you and keep you. It's it's there also a you singular that God is speaking to individuals saying, I'm going to bless you with whatever hopes, joys, dreams, goals you have. I'm looking at you and blessing you. How cool. And that when God deals with me, I take the Lord's Supper as an individual. I am baptized as an individual. Yes, I can hear the word with all kinds of other people, but ultimately God is also speaking individually to me. What an amazingly gracious God who does that and then you notice the change in isaiah uh, god kind of i picture god is kind of rubbing his chin and going so hm so there's this guy who came in terrified and uh and and knows that he should be struck dead because he's in the presence of god and now i've said to him hey given your sin your guilt is totally gone uh, I, I wonder who would want to tell other people about that who should i send? who could who could possibly go for us and it's like isaiah is jumping up and down here am i send me and now what's amazing about that is that is not a request it's an imperative hmm. so here you have this guy who is scared to death and now he's, he's giving commands god what to, to god do. exactly exactly and to go all geeky on yet yeah, this is it's cool because it rhymes hineni shalakhani <laughs> hmm. Kanani Shilakani, Kanani Shilakani, here am I, send me. <laughs> and it's a really really cool. And I pray that um those of us who know <clears throat> God's giving love even better than Isaiah because remember Isaiah never saw Jesus. Isaiah never saw Bethlehem, Isaiah never saw Calvary, Isaiah never saw uh the empty tomb. You and I have so we actually know God's forgiving love even better than Isaiah knew it. And uh, I pray that that same sort of fever will, will be inside of us. Here am I, Lord.
2: Send me. And to that, Tom, I think, I'm sure you and Jeremy, and I know I've seen it. You know, who are the ones that are the most excited in the church to go and say, here am I, send me?
1: It's yeah, the, so often.
2: It's the okay. new converts, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's those of us who've been baptized and confirmed as youth and grown up in the church, and, and it, we kind of end up taking God's grace for granted, and we shouldn't. And uh, I just finished a Bible study this morning on Romans chapter five of just uh, the the grace of God. And we just talked about how you know we're living in that grace, not taking showers in the grace that uh, that we're living and dwelling in that grace. and But I think, think sometimes, again, we take it for granted and we want to be fired up like those converts. And you and I have seen that, Tom, being in the mission field and having more converts, you know, probably than a regular parish pastor. But it is just so exciting. And I really hit up those people right away. All right. Now what you've learned, what you've been given Now go and share that, like like Isaiah. You know, he you know, they've learned their sins are taken away through Jesus, you know, driving away that law that is in them. You know, I've had, you know, one of the questions I ask in adult confirmation class is, How do you know you're forgiven? And then and I tell them, if you get this one wrong, we have to do the whole class again. (laughs) And and I've had people get it wrong, and they say, Well because I live a good life. No, it's through Jesus. Oh yeah, I meant through Jesus. So they don't have to do it again, but, but just driving home that it's through Jesus and their sins are washed away. And you can see that, that excitement, uh, again in them. And then to, to, uh, be like Isaiah, you know, push them out the door. Don't be afraid. Just go grab more people and bring them in.
1: Yeah, and there are of course exceptions. Some new confirmands are not on fire, and uh, some longtime members are, and uh, so there, there certainly are exceptions. But yeah, when when you first hear uh, that, that oftentimes is the the time when you are. Most touched, it hits your emotions probably harder at that particular point than it maybe does at other times. Can I make one other comment about the forgiveness thing? You know, when when Isaiah sees God and sees his holiness and is struck with fear because of his sinfulness, um, woe is me, Lord, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Why does he say his lips? Ultimately, we don't know. Um, had Isaiah just spoken some rash words to somebody, and that was on his mind? Had Isaiah been failing to proclaim the way he could have, should have? Um, had Isaiah said spoken some lies recently? Um, finally, we're not sure. But did you notice where the angel touches Isaiah on the lips? And that I, I think the lesson that God is teaching there. Um, is that God loves to bring his gospel to us right in the place where we hurt, right in the place where we see our weakness and our sinfulness most clearly. That's where God loves to come in and heal. That's such a cool, again, gracious, good news gospel thought. If Isaiah had said, I'm a man of unclean hands, I, I think the angel would have touched him on the hands. Is what would have happened obviously we're speculating we don't know what we do know is what did happen and i think there's a cool little lesson to uh to be taken from it that's just neat
2: all right i think we should we wrap it up right there
0: that that, that was a great point uh yeah great point to end on all
1: well right. thank you guys for having me and uh blessings to all the listeners who are out there i pray that our, our little discussion here of these two texts may uh be a blessing for you and that you go in peace and joy, knowing that God has called you into his family and has even entrusted the keys of the kingdom of God to to simple human beings like you and me. What a cool deal.
2: Yeah, well, and thank you, uh, Pastor Tom Cuck. And next week, we're going to have Pastor Dale Rexon on. Uh, He's a parish pastor in Oak Creek, serving at one of the oldest congregations in our church body. So this is Pastor Michael Zarling with Pastor Lightning in a Bottle. Stay thirsty, my friends, and then drink deeply from the water of life.